Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context, and I'm glad you're joining us today. We're doing a series now on prayer, and this has been one of my concerns and I would say passions for the last few years, just trying to help believers understand what prayer is and isn't, why we need to pray, and to be candid, can I be your friend? To be candid, most of us need to understand prayer and learn how to pray a little better. And so with that in mind, I've picked a number of my friends who I think are extraordinary at prayer. We'll have Barbara Brand, who if you've not heard, you'll fall in love with Barbara. We'll have Ken Boa, Handbook to Prayer author that I often reference. We've talked to Rob Morgan, a dear friend of mine who's here in the Middle Tennessee area, Red Sea Rules and other books on meditation and prayer. And This first podcast, this first launch, is with my favorite guest of all time, right here in studio, same woman I sleep with every night, my wife, Cindy Easley. So I wanted to chat with you, I I think, and you and I have talked about this, even in our church and our friends, people wrestle with prayer. They don't know how to pray. I completely agree, and I think part of the reasons we wrestle with prayer is that we keep trying to dial in a system or a formula, and it's really relationship. It's a conversation. And I think there are things like the Handbook to Prayer or by Kimboa that is extremely helpful in um, thinking through areas to pray, but I also think they're not—just going through that isn't a magic wand to prayer, you have to keep in mind that it is always, you're communicating with your creator and you're having a conversation. Barbara Brand was one of our guests on this series. And we talked about the book that she introduced you to, Joy and Strength. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked about Andrew Murray in Mm -hmm. the School of Prayer, which Mm -hmm. both you and her love. Talk a little bit about that book and why you connected with that. Yeah. Wow. It's been years since I've read it, but Barbara and I actually went through it together, if I remember correctly. And it's, I want to say, 28, 30 chapters. They're very short. They are meant to do one a day. You really can't do one a day because they're so pithy. Andrew Murray wrote this Years and years and years ago, I, I wish I'd even looked up the dates of his of when he lived. But Andrew Murray was born in 1828, and he died in 1917. Okay, so so not quite as long ago, right? Yeah. Not, but and and it's it's then worth noting that the language in a school of prayer, if you're reading the original book that he wrote, if you're not reading an updated. Uh, version, it's going to be a little bit wooden, a little bit harder to read. I like that, though, because it forces me to think. Slow down and think. Right, right. Honestly, I don't remember everything about it. I just remember thinking he was so good at pointing you beyond asking for stuff. He started out at his ministry at 21 years old. Goodness gracious. There you go. Um, Joy and Strength, uh, Valley of Vision, Handbook to Prayer, I've talked about, you know, the pros and cons of these. From your perspective, what is it that you like about them? How do you use them? Well, first of all, I, um, you are probably more consistent with Handbook to Prayer than I am in that the minute I pick it up and I feel rote and I'm checking off the adoration, confession, like, okay, I've done that part. I've done that part. I have to put it down. 
because the minute it becomes rote, then it's no longer serving me well. And then I'll, I'll wait a few days or, or a week and pick it back up again, especially if I finished my Bible study or my Bible reading. As you know, I, I've my second year in a row, and I think I'll do it forever till I die. I read through the Bible every year. And once I finish my Bible reading is when I pray, although I pray as I'm reading the Bible too, I should say. But once I finish, if I'm like, okay, Lord, don't know where to talk, start with you this morning, that's when I go to one of those. Another thing I do, and I do this some mornings before I ever even get out of bed, is I go through the Lord's Prayer. I don't recite it like you would in church, but I will say, Our Father, and I will acknowledge that He's our Father. And then, you know, who art in heaven, holy, you are so holy, Lord, and you are the creator. So it's kind of going through some of the other formulas we have for prayer, and I put that in quotes, um, but it's using the Lord's Prayer. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get forgive us our debts. I'll pray through the sins that come to mind, which is, is something I've really, I've worked on not— just confessing and asking for forgiveness. But one of my prayers every day is, Lord, have me so in touch with your Holy Spirit that when I sin, I'm aware of it immediately. And, you know, I'm not out robbing stores or, you know, doing anything really overt. So majority of my sin is between my ears. It's things I think that I go, okay, that's not honoring to you. That was critical of that person, not fair to them and not honoring to you, those kinds of things. And and I I actually love it when the Holy Spirit points those things out because it's a good check that, okay, you're listening, you're there. Let's say on an average day, are there certain things that they come to the metaphorical top of your prayer list? What are those kinds of things? Always family, you know, our children, um, our grandchildren. Uh, almost every day, I pray that they come to Christ early, that they live lives that are bold with their faith in Christ. Um, I pray for our children, that they would have good marriages for our two girls that are married, and that they would um, always pursue God, that all four of the adult children would. I pray for the two younger children and some of their struggles. Um, I pray for friends that I know are hurting. I have some very close girlfriends, and I always have them at the top of my list. Of course, you. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's mainly about relationship, or perhaps we've gotten a, um email on our church prayer chain, and that would be something that I remember to pray for. I don't always remember to pray for those. Sometimes I just pray for them when I read the email, but it kind of depends on how much context or how much— um, recent relationship I've had with that that person to so that they're brought to mind. And, and I ask God, bring this person to mind through the day or, or help me remember to pray for this specific request. What do you do with unanswered, quote, unanswered prayer? Because we hear people say, well, I pray and God doesn't answer, or I prayed. We have probably heard an iteration of this statement 20 times in our lives. My mother was sick and I was a boy or a girl, and I prayed, and God didn't answer my prayer, and my mother died. And so they live with this result of A plus B did not equal C to them, that prayer should somehow be this magic wand, or God, if I do this, God will answer. So we have to think about what, you know, our, our own human limitation, but what do you do with, quote, unanswered prayer? 
Well, as you know, there is no unanswered prayer. God is not answering the way we want Him to answer, but He's still answering. I know in my life when there have been times that I've prayed for something and I haven't received the answer that I want, the thing I have to be careful of is that I don't look at that or I don't begin to think, well, God doesn't hear me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. Because that's a lie from from Satan, and, and that is not true. I think we always have to remember that God sees the top of the tapestry, and we see the bottom. You know, we see the frayed ends and can't figure out how it fits together. And, and boy, I mean, I can't wait to get to heaven and to have—I don't think I'll ask Jesus, you know, why did this happen? Or why? I think I'll know, and it'll all make sense. And I can't wait for that because there are those questions of why didn't you answer this or why did you work that way? And sometimes we see the answer. We know in a really obvious one to me is way back for us when I was struggling with infertility and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that I would get pregnant. But in God's grace, we can look back and go, well, we wouldn't have adopted three kids had I gotten pregnant. And I've told people before, even though we have some some pretty big struggles with at least one of our children, I wouldn't trade those kids for anything. So, you know, sometimes we're privileged in seeing why God withholds or God answers in a different way, and sometimes we're not. And that's what faith is. Faith is saying, God, I trust you even when I don't see you working the way I want to. But again, that to me, that goes back to, is your purpose of prayer to ask God for something and get it? Or is it to know the heart of your Father? There's a couple of verses that I love. One, Psalm 27, verse 4 and 7 and 8. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, and that's the word seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in His temple. If I can, every day in my prayer, seek God and behold His beauty, that's that's it to me. That's what I want. And then verse four through eight, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. Now look what he's praying for. Seek my face. That's what God is saying to the psalmist. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, shall I seek. Again, that's prayer to me, is seeking God, seeking His face, knowing and, God. And, uh, you know, not to be unkind or maybe oversimplistic, but do, do you think most people don't understand prayer that way? They understand it as more of a asking God for this thing. And, and think of how even Christians pray in churches and in church groups and prayer groups. There's the organ recital, you know, all the people that are sick, you know, this person needs a transplant or this person needs heart surgery. But, and then there's sort of this safe zone of praying, you know, for a person maybe that's not saved, but it rarely gets down to what you're just talking about, Lord, that I will know you, Lord, that I'll be content with who you are, Lord, that I will worship you no matter what my circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. I think that people don't understand that. And and I'll, I'll admit, I didn't get it most of my life. Um, but as I read Scripture, that's what I see. I see more, you know, you see David in the Psalms. All the Psalms are prayer. They're songs, but they're prayer that he's 
telling God how he feels, asking for something, often not getting the answer, and ending up in praise or contentment or, Lord, regardless of this, I'm going to trust you. To me, that's it's allowing God to be God and realizing I'm not and being okay with that. You know, that's prayer. One thing that I think we miss is when we try to separate prayer from reading and knowing God's Word. Because so often, if you're reading Scripture, and as I said, I'll read as I'm reading in the morning, you know, I'm I'm in uh, Zechariah this morning, I will talk to God and go, oh, thank you for that, or wow, you're amazing, or um, it'll bring something to mind that I need to pray about. And to me, that's the most natural prayer, because I'm not looking at a book or a list of something. I'm just, again, having a conversation. I'm talking to God, and He's speaking to me through His Word. And that's probably my favorite. We talk about terms in the Psalms, lament, praise, petition, confession. There's some other ones I want to tell because they get, they get a little heady. But when, when you think about your prayer life and also how we help other people think about this, how do you or do you differentiate between a lament and a praise and a petition and a confession? I would say I do when I'm going through a book like um, Handbook to Prayer. Then I do because it's laid out for me. Yes, I'm sure that I am lamenting and praising, and but again, when I'm reading Scripture, it just all kind of is thrown out there at the same time. It's not a real set. You know, I can go from praising to seeing something in Scripture. I, this morning, actually, it was Handbook to Prayer, but um, in fact, I had to stop and write again, just when I journaled, and just said, okay, Lord, you just smacked me in the face, thanks, um, <laughs> under petition. And this is for yourself. The second one, may I not take vengeance or bear a grudge against others, but love my neighbor as myself. And I was like, okay, Lord, it's the grudge thing. I'm not going to take vengeance, but don't bear a grudge. That is so freaking convicting. And that's that's literally, I shut the book then, okay, I, I can't go on because I've got to spend time right there with you, God. So I guess we can't. Pray the imprecation, you know, <laughs> or heat burning coals upon my enemy at times. When it comes to, um, and we talked about this many times, there's no perhaps exact answer, but uh, Barbara Brand and I touched on it ever so briefly. We've touched on it briefly with Johnny Erickson Tata in the past, the fellowship of suffering. Mm -hmm. When you think about prayer and suffering and what's this fellowship of suffering and how we pray in it, through it, alongside of it? I wish I had the depth to give you an answer, I'm sure, like Johnny or Barbara or Jim Traficant would or, or some of our other friends. Here's what the way I look at that in my smaller experience is that God uses suffering to push me toward Him. Without those pressure points, He knows the pressure points in my life. And without those being pushed, I don't seek His face. I may become more just rudimentary in my prayers, but when I am crying out to God, when I'm in pain, and I don't mean necessarily physical pain for me, but but when I have emotional pain or I see someone I love in pain and, and I'm crying out to God on their behalf, I'm seeking God's face on their behalf, 
man, my prayer life soars. You know, that's when I feel close to God. It's when I know that I'm not, um, that I am going into deeper. It's kind of like, you know, going to dinner with someone and you can chit chat and have a very service conversation, or you can get down deep in the weeds and talk about things that matter. And that's how I feel it is with God. Sometimes we stay surface and sometimes we really get down in the weeds and, and let him know what we think that matters. I don't remember the precise quote, but it's one I often refer to generically as the corollary between the troubles we have in life and prayer. And I think from a sovereign providential standpoint, God allows those so that we are drawn to him because uh-huh. we get into our Western, you know, view of bigger, better, newer, more, life's going to work out. If I do this, then God should do that nonsense, as opposed to, no, uh, I'm going to take you through something. And yeah, it's the consequence of sin. Yeah, it's the consequence of a fallen world. But you're going to be faced with this because I'm turning you into something you're not. I'm transforming you. And and, in my own experience, when I look back on whether it's physical or emotional or pain or relational pain, I always go back to, okay, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. There's no trying to worm my way out of this. And I think that you and I have talked about this a lot. The trap door of, okay, let me learn something and, and answer this so I can get through it. Right, nonsense. right. Get this over yeah, with. So I, uh-huh. that's, that's just stupid. Uh, no, I need to be content with God, not the situation, but that God is sovereign. God loves me. God cares about me. Even when I don't understand that, God cares about us and loves us unconditionally. And in that, we're drawing close to him. Barbara talked about her father and how difficult he was. And when she came to Christ, she goes, I had a father. And I was struck. I had not heard her share that story before and how that was the super connection for her. And I wonder in in our spirit, of influence and people we've known over the years and some have, you know, really struggled deeply with marriages and children and so forth. Um, it seems most people, I think they retreat to prayer only when that bad thing happens. And the primary MO is I'll pray. So God will get me through this. Right. Right. And, and the prayer is get me out of pain, resolve this, whatever it is. Right. I mean, even, even church prayer lists, you know, it's a person going through treatments or upcoming surgery and it's, you know, pray that this works, pray that that works, pray that this. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's great. But wherein is the prayer that we become more like Christ? Wherein is the prayer that we aren't judgmental or critical? Wherein is the prayer that he changes my conscience so that I don't dwell on you know, money, sex, and power, and I dwell on, you know, beauty and love and serving Christ and seeing other people as lost and hurting. And those transformations are very difficult to measure. Mm-hmm. Well, they are. They are. But I, but I think that's where when you're spending time in God's Word and with Him in prayer, you're surprised by how you react. If somebody upsets you or, or um, you know, whatever, and, and you're able to react with grace— and kindness instead of that visceral, you know, I want to punch your lights out kind of thing. At least that's to me how I go. And, and I don't mean that I'm doing it like pat myself on the back or like, way to go, Cindy. It's more like. It's a change. Well, and it's a oh, thank you. It's a thank you, Lord. You are you are changing me. That's what I've asked for. And you're doing it. You're changing me. Years ago, I wrote a prayer called a non-anxious presence. And I prayed it every day for a long time. 
because I dealt with tremendous anxiety, probably in, um, certainly in our areas in Virginia. And I remember just waking up with the knot in my stomach and, you know, worrying about the to-do list of the day. And it wasn't anything in particular, it was just everything together because it was a big job. And I remember praying over and over and over, why do I live with this, you know, level of anxiety? And it was, I don't have the prayer in front of me. We could probably put it in the show notes, but th- there was a line in there that, you know, to pray for a non-anxious presence. And that if you answered this prayer, Lord, there's only two people that will know it, you and me. Mm. And that was a, a insight for me into prayer was that if he changes me, other people may or may not notice. That's not the point. The point is, am I growing in knowing that he's sovereign and loves me and so forth? Or am I just wanting him to perform to make my life better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to, to a point, you know, again, Barbara, Jim, Johnny, the people that we know that have have been in very serious, specifically health crisis, they will say when they started getting better, they were, they almost, I don't want to say they regretted getting better. Of course, they want to get better, but but they knew they were leaving that intimacy loss. with Christ, right? They were leaving that and, and it was that loss that they knew that in their day-to-day, they would not keep that level of vulnerability with God. And... Um, and I, I get that, you know, not having experienced what they've experienced, but but having my own pressure points, I've I've understood that in my life. Okay, dear husband, you know, people want to know what you think they do. about prayer. They yeah, hear me they all do. the time. Yeah. I talk nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's a few questions, and I'm just delighted that I get to turn the tables on you. Okay. Uh, educating others on prayer has become one of your main soapboxes. <laughs> yes, you want to call that a soapbox? <laughs> Along with studying God's Word and making disciples. Why? Why is prayer so important? I think after you know 40 plus years of, quote, ministry and watching people and hearing troubles and going through and troubles and watching churches and just, you know, God's given you and me incredible experiences around the country and even the globe. I've just concluded most Christians are really bad at prayer. And I don't mean that critically. They don't understand prayer. They don't know how to pray. They don't, they don't know. It's not an outcome thing. Uh, you said it right at the beginning. It's a relationship. In my worldview, prayer is both a discipline and a relationship. It's not necessarily God, will you do this for me? Although we do pray those that way because he tells us to ask him. But I think watching Christians over the years, and you've seen me do this from the pulpit how many times, I'll say, I double dog or triple dog dare you do not pray the same prayer at lunch today that you prayed the last 15. And people will come up to me and go, that was really convicting. (laughs) Well, it's just symptomatic of where they are. And, you know, we, we have a couple friends that they're, they're so funny go, I'm not praying around him. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to overstate it, but it's a not universal, but pretty common problem. And I go, okay, Lord, if I'm given this privilege of teaching the Bible and encouraging people to grow in their spiritual lives, it would seem prayer would be a good thing for them to be more, you know, uh, confident in. So we started using the handbook to prayer. We use the ACTS. We've used the Valley of Vision. We've used You Like Strength and Joy. I wrote a little book on prayer called Interludes. And that was all trying to provoke people to not overlook this discipline. I still remember Howard Hendricks 
years ago in, in seminary saying, uh, gentlemen, go home and study when Jesus prayed and why he prayed. And I went, that's an interesting Bible study. And you read through the gospel accounts. He spends all night in prayer the day before he, the days before he chooses the disciples. Hmm. He, after healing all those multitudes, he sneaks up on the Sea of Galilee hillside and he prays all night to the Lord. And here it is. If the God of the universe, the God man felt it important is not the right word, but if it was important to him to pray, who am I? Who are we to think we can live the Christian life apart from prayer? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the high level. And and again, I don't want to criticize or make people feel guilty. I want to give them tools and provoke them to say, try this little handbook to prayer for 90 days. Try the Valley of Vision for a few months. Uh, write your prayers and whatever, just to provoke them. Because if we're learning and growing, you have to learn how to pray. And as Older Christians, why is it we admire an old, silver-haired, widowed woman who prays unlike anybody on the planet? Because she has lost all the props of life that used to hold her up, and she's learned a relationship with Christ. And we just, we were like blown away by a Jean Hendricks in her prayer life or a Barbara in her prayer life. And so that's been, I mean, that's a lot of words, but that that's really been, how, how do we help people? Because it is systemic. I think most, I would say nine out of 10 Christians, they'll say they don't pray. They prayed and God didn't answer. I don't understand prayer. Or they use meaningless repetition to the point. If you're talking to the God of the universe, why would you say the same thing every time you open your mouth? You know, and that's interesting that you talked about meaningless repetition, even at meals. <laughs> of course, Mr. Bible Scholar, you can, can correct me here, but I think from my memory and, and my understanding of prayer in Scripture, that's the only negative that God, negative instruction God gives is don't have meaningless repetition. So he doesn't say, always pray like this. He's shown, he's, there are prayers throughout Scripture. Oh, and there's certainly repetitions. And, you know, to be, to be real precise on that, I want to be careful. Jesus is condemning the righteous community, the religious community for their you think you'll be heard by God by your meaningless repetition. So I'm applying that going, oops, you know, the more I pray. So, for example, I don't mean to be unkind or hard, but Roman Catholics who pray a rosary. And as a boy growing up, burning through a rosary after I went to confession, that was meaningless repetition 100%. Mm -hmm. Say two rosaries or whatever, and I'd burn through that, and I could say those prayers on automation without thinking about one word mm -hmm. uh, set aside, you know, whether you should say Hail Mary is a prayer, that's a different tangent. Point being, um, that's meaningless. Oh, well, I did it sincerely. No, you didn't. He says, you will not be heard by your many words. And so let's look at the Psalms. Let's look at the prayers of Jesus Christ in the upper room discourse. Let's look at the high priestly prayer. Oh, my lands. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse one, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I mean, there's Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. There's scores of prayers. Daniel's prayer in chapter nine. It's bingo. Yeah. So that is the tutor. And I think that's where we have been remiss. And 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 uh, one of our other guests, I don't know if it was Rob Morgan, someone said, you know, a lot of prayer is praying the words of scripture back to God. Mm -hmm. And so- that's one reason, again, why I like Boa's book, because he simply has organized 
passages. And, and this morning when I was doing it, I didn't even get through it. I went to the chapter in Psalms that he cited in the first one, and I just read the Psalm, and that was my morning devotion. So I, I don't think it's enslavement, but it's repetition can be good if we're learning the same kind of things, but that God's going to hear me because I pray the beads, quote unquote, over and over and over and over again. That's what he's judging the religious community. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm glad that you clarified that. Just I I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, and it's fun. We have grandkids now and, you know, children in general, when they pray, it's so illustrative of not only what they're picking up from their parents, but what they think about when they pray. And, you know, there is some childlikeness in, you know, thanks for the ice cream or thanks it's for precious. the hot dog or yep, whatever. Yep. It's like, well, you know, it's not bad to thank God for this day. Thank God that I got up this morning. Thank God that I was able to take a hot shower and help my arthritis. Thank God that you know, it's not a hundred degrees or, you know, it rained or whatever. And those are not bad things by any means. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So we talked about Valley of Vision. Um, Do you have any other personal prayer strategies? Well, the ACTS thing, and again, most folks know that, but the ACTS, I was introduced to that in college uh, by a friend. I think it was a little navigator booklet and it's Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, ACTS. And when I was in seminary, I had uh, three or four other seminary students, and we would skip lunch on Friday, and we would go into a classroom and kneel on those hard linoleum floors with those very uncomfortable chairs, and we would pray ACTS. And it was very interesting because we, we sat down and said, okay, what does it mean to truly adore God? You're thinking about the attributes of who he is and what he's done. Thank you that you're loving, kind. Thank you that you're patient. Thank you that you're you're magnificent, that you're glorious, that you're everlasting. So you have to think, you have to do the homework. What does it mean to adore? And then the confession isn't simply confessing sin. This is a problem I think most Christians think. Yes, we need to confess our sin. We're commanded. But a confessional technically means that we're saying the true things of Scripture back to God. So that's where you can read a part of a psalm or a part of one of Paul's prayers. So adoration, thanksgiving, and that's that's a wonderful exercise in prayer general. What can you thank God for? And, and I think back to your point about you know the, the, the passage from Isaiah about a, a neighbor and having a grudge. If we're not thankful, we, we can't be thankful people if we focus on what's wrong mm-hmm. and genders a thankful attitude. So that's a choice for me. You know me better than anybody. I'm a critical person. I can be Eeyore. My oldest daughter on the other side of the glass calls me Eeyore from time to time. So I'm aware of that. And to choose to be great, grateful. And then finally, supplication. And what we learned in that semester we did this it was such a sweet time, was when you go through adoration first, confession second, thanksgiving third, your supplications get pretty short. Because mm-hmm. you've aligned yourself with, who is this God? Declaring truths about this God. And yes, you confess your sin. Thanking him. Oh, by the way, do I really have any requests? <laughs> you know? And it just, it was more of a Oh, by the way, lesson we learned in that semester was, you know, our our request line to God is turned on its head mm-hmm. if we approach him. And this goes back to what you said earlier, what Barbara Brand said and Rob Morgan all said differently was, this is a, your father who loves you unconditionally, who cares about you completely, who knows everything, 
and he wants your best, why would you not worship him mm-hmm. and always stop and, and sort of, well, not stop, but refine your wish list because mm-hmm. that's not what prayer is. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff there, honey. All right. One thing, if you could impart one thing to people listening about prayer, what would it be? Get your nose in the book. I, I continue back to the whole, you know, why I'm teaching on prayer and emphasizing it more and more this chapter of my life. And I'm just convinced people are not in the scripture. The Barnapoles and the um, new Lifeway poll just came out. Evangelicals, quote unquote, in America, they are so squishy in what they believe. They don't know what they believe. They're accepting of sin in such egregious levels. And I don't want to be mad at them. I don't want to be bitter with them. But I am telling you, if they don't get their nose back in the Bible, this trend is not going to change. And I'm not trying to change the country or the world. I'm trying to change the believer's heart mm-hmm. and mind to say, is he Jesus Christ? Is this the very word of God? Does he define what it means to be lost and saved? Do you know you're eternally secure in heaven? Will you go to heaven when you die? Do you understand what your marriage is and isn't? Do you understand what you're doing with your children? Do you understand your purpose in life? Those are big issues. And when you're driven by the culture and social media and all this junk, you're going to drift away. Mm-hmm. And if they would get their nose in the scripture every day, five minutes to start, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you and I both have had the experience in all our lives. You wax and wane. You get where you spend an hour and it flies by. And then it's like, oh, you know, I really don't have a lot of time. And it's kind of perfunctory. I had to get over God wasn't mad at me and he still loved me if I didn't spend an hour in a word. Mm-hmm. And understand it's not checking a box to get God's favor. It's the God of the universe loves me. I need to spend time in his word to be recalibrated every morning. So hopefully I look at the day a little differently and I would just wish and pray <laughs> that believers would get their nose in scripture every day. And I think the rest takes care of itself. This is Michael Easley in Context with my favorite guest of all time, Cindy Easley. And thanks for listening. And show notes will have all the books we've talked about and more. Drop us an email. Send us a note. What are you learning about your own prayer life? Tell us what you think about prayer. And as always, we appreciate you sharing the program with others. And thank you for being part of the In Context family. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.